Hi, and welcome to season two of What's Next? Navigating Life's Transitions in Southeast Alaska. I have some great interviews recorded and scheduled for this coming season. One note that I did not do well on my audio for the next few episodes that you will hear. I bought a fancy microphone and then decided that I didn't need it, but I do. I will return to it and please bear with me. The guests in these episodes sound great and I think you will be very excited for their stories and I will continue to work on the tech on our end. So let's get started. Season two is going to start with a conversation about human body composting, which is now available as an alternative to cremation and burial as close as Seattle. Welcome to What's Next. Uh, As part of the estate planning process, um, I always ask clients, do you prefer burial or cremation as part of the process? And where do you want to be buried or where do you want to be stored or kept if you're cremated? But there is a new option that is now available to us, and that is human body composting, which I just, I can't wait for this conversation. It is cutting edge and just more and more exciting as I learn about it. Joining us today is Anna Swenson. She is the first employee hired uh, by Recompose in Washington, and she will tell us some of the amazing history of the uh, business and what they're doing and and how. Uh, She currently leads marketing, public policy, and community outreach for the Green Funeral Home, originally from Arizona, and she enjoys houseplants and tide pools. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. I have a number of places to go and things I'd love to discuss today, but you know, to start, I thought it would be good to talk about burial and cremation and why Recompose is looking for a different option. Sure, yeah. So there's a lot of folks out there who um, are looking for other options, and that's actually how Recompose got its start. Our founder and CEO, Katrina Spade, first got the idea to pursue human composting when she was in architecture school in Massachusetts, and she was thinking about her values as a person and how conventional burial and cremation didn't really align with them. Um, Not a lot of folks know that the environmental impact of flame-based cremation is about the same as burial. You know, conventional burial, people are aware that the hardwood from a casket or embalming fluids can be harmful to the environment, but actually the fossil gas that's required to create the heat in a crematory retort also has a carbon impact that's about equal to the impact of being buried in a cemetery. And that was something that I learned when I started in this world as well. So Katrina got the idea to look at a process called livestock mortality composting, which is well-established soil science. And she um, spent about 10 years figuring out how to adapt that to humans. Um, We did a soil, soil study with Washington State University to prove that this is safe and effective. And then in 2019, we worked with lawmakers in Washington to have Washington be the first state to legalize this process. And now in 2022, it is legal in Colorado, Oregon, and Washington. And we're working on California and a few other states. So let's go back to this livestock composting and how we hear about it and, and, and really... Yeah, so how the story goes is that Katrina was thinking about what other options were out there, and 
a friend called her and said, do you know about this process of livestock mortality composting? There's many decades of science that prove that this is safe and effective. And that's what got Katrina thinking, what if I could do this for humans? And if anyone has been following Recompose for a while, you'll know that this has taken on several iterations. Katrina first founded a nonprofit called the Urban Death Project several years ago. She did a TED Talk that has over a million views. And in that TED Talk, she talks about what she calls a collective core, which is more like how it's done on farms where the body of an animal is placed with plant material and dirt over it. And then after it has decomposed, then another animal is placed on top of it. And that's originally the direction that she was trying to go with human composting. But as she continued to scale the project, she realized that that was going to be challenging for several reasons to pursue that model. One is that it would be very expensive to build this kind of core. And another is that there are sensitivities regarding human bodies that don't exist for animal bodies. So now we use a single vessel for each person's transformation into soil, and there's no commingling of the soil um, that's actually something that's in many of the state laws about this. So until the entire transformation into soil takes place and then the family agrees that it can be donated and used on conservation land, for example, there is no commingling at any point in the process. So that helped us get over some of the legal barriers that lawmakers had with the original collective core idea. But how did she start on the research? I can't imagine that it's easy to go about that process. Sure. So Katrina was getting her master's degree at UMass Amherst, and this was her thesis project. And she was really excited about the idea of having a place for the urban dead. That was originally how this project started, because urban environments don't have the space that rural environments do to bury folks and burial land in a city can be very expensive and you know it really limits the land use. So it was at first a design project to try and solve this problem of how do we find a meaningful way to bury people in that's informed by nature, but in an urban setting. Okay. And and somehow figured it, figured it out, and I imagine tried a lot of different processes to right. Yeah, it's taken many many iterations. I mean, she's been working on it for over ten years now, and there have been a lot of collaborators. A really important collaborator is Dr. Lynn Carpenter Boggs, who is a soil professor at Washington State University, and still works with us to this day, helping us refine the process. And um, you know, anyone who watches the TED Talk will know that Katrina is quite a tenacious person. So she just keeps trying things until it works. And, and that's still something that we do in the company today. Now that we're up to almost 20 employees. I will definitely link to her TED talk. And um, okay, so now moving closer to today, Recompose uh, has, I believe, one site available, mm -hmm. composting. And uh, tell us about that site and how it's done. Sure. So we have one location. It's south of Seattle. We call it the greenhouse because it's where the process has um, germinated. It's not an actual greenhouse, although the walls are painted green. And at that facility, we have the capacity to turn 16 bodies per month into soil. And how that process works is when we take a body into our care, 
we place it into the device that I mentioned called a vessel, which is about four feet high and 10 feet long. It's a tube on its side and it's made out of steel and they can be reused. So we place each body into the vessel with plant material that's made up of wood chips, alfalfa and straw. And it's the microbes that naturally occur on and in our bodies that power the transformation into soil. So once we place the body and the plant material in that vessel, we close the vessel, and then the process of transforming into soil takes between six and eight weeks total. It takes about 30 days in that vessel, and then we remove the soil to dry and test it before it's ready to go back to the family, or we also have the option to donate the soil to a conservation trust here in Washington. So our bodies... I'm not very scientific, but mm -hmm. if you place our body with plant material, then we will manage the process on our own. Right. So it is a managed biological process. So what's happening inside the vessel is the vessel is equipped with temperature sensors. So that's how we know that the environment in the vessel is doing the decomposition work that it needs to be doing. Sometimes folks ask me, well, wouldn't this just happen on the forest floor? And Yes, it would eventually, but we control the exact ratio of the different plant material that goes into the vessel. We control different factors. We know what's going on. So A, we know that the process is proceeding as it should. And B, we also know that it's reaching the legal thresholds that eliminate any harmful pathogens that might be in the body or in the soil. There are a few conditions that disqualify a person from choosing human composting. Um, one is prion diseases. Folks with prion diseases have to be cremated. One is Ebola. Folks that choose Ebola also have to be cremated. Um, the state of Washington also added tuberculosis. That didn't come up in our research, but out of an abundance of caution, they added that to the restricted list. And then if folks have had radiation seed treatment within 30 days of death, Either they can't choose this or the organ has to be removed before they undergo the process. And is a prion disease, was Ebola one an example? Is that separate? Um, so prion diseases are, I think the most common example is Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Um, bovine spongiform or mad cow is also a prion disease. Of course, these aren't very common. Um, but it has to do with misfolded proteins in the brain. And there just isn't quite sufficient evidence that human composting eliminates those misfolded proteins. So people who have those diseases have to be cremated to make sure that those are destroyed. Chemotherapy is fine. Um, um, there's, you know, if you've had a lot of different treatments. So what happens is that the microbes transform the molecules that were your body on a molecular level. So the, those proteins break down any, you know, illegal drugs or legal drugs, pharmaceuticals, those break down and are eliminated to well under EPA levels by the time the transformation into soil is complete. And we do test the soil for something like 10 different factors as required by the state. And that um, is how we know that it's safe to go back to the family or back into the environment. You said that you dry the soil after you take it out of the vessel. Did you use that term? I did. Yeah. So to get into a little bit more detail, the transformation into soil takes place 
inside the vessel for 30 days. And that's when, you know, how graphic do you want me to get here? <laughs> well, let's, I'm, I'm curious. And then okay. listeners, if you don't want the graphics, you can. Yeah. Me. Let me know if this gets, you know, sometimes it can be too specific for people, but um, within the first few days, the microbes create heat because they are decomposing the flesh. So we know that the heat in the vessel spikes to sometimes over that threshold of 131 degrees Fahrenheit within five days of being in the vessel. So we know that that is the fuel for the microbes at first. And then the microbes do the work of breaking down the longer bones, such as the hips or the shoulders. We also sometimes rotate the vessel depending on the various factors of the person or sometimes the temperature of the environment. So there is, um, it's sort of like a very slow clothes dryer that rotates and that's what helps break up those pieces of bone that might not otherwise get oxygen so that those microbes can thrive. So that's what's happening inside the vessel and it's the material stays in the vessel for 30 days. And then after that time, we remove the soil from the vessel. It goes into a curing bin so that it can dry because while there is oxygen flowing through the vessel, it's a pretty closed environment. So we want to remove that moisture and make sure that it's dry, fluffy soil that can, um, one, be easier to transport because wet soil is very heavy, and then also have it be nice for the family if they want to take it home and use it on their rose garden or whatever it is. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I appreciate the detail. If yeah. someone has a uh, metal in their body from surgeries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at that point that I just described, after we remove the soil from the vessel, that's where we screen for what we call non-organics. That could be hip implants. It could be usually teeth implants are so small that they break down and we don't remove those from the soil. There is one that we remove before it goes into the vessel and that's pacemakers because of the electrical element. And that's the same as for cremation, pacemakers are removed before cremation. All right, so that is the, the physical. Process. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that you call preparing the body for the vessel laying in, is that a term that Katrina invented or where did it come from? It is, yeah, that has been part of her idea for this for a long time. And we do offer what we call a laying in ceremony. Right now they are virtual. And that is where a family can join us via Zoom and our funeral directors will call everyone together. They'll gently place the plant material over the person's body. Then we place the body into the vessel close the vessel, and that's when the transformation into soil begins. And families have had a lot of different ways of making this personal and special. We often ask them, is there a certain music that you want us to play while we do this? Um, we've had a lot of Grateful Dead. <laughs> we've had, um, you know, I was at a beautiful ceremony where the family had gone to see Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway together. And um, that was what the, the dad who had died picked to be played during his ceremony. So that was really beautiful. Um, you know, we've also had some incubus and just, it's just like funny what people choose and, and often really beautiful. And I think that you started during the pandemic. Is that right? We did. So yeah. we first opened our location, the greenhouse in December of 2020. 
So is that someday do you anticipate doing in-person laying in? We do. And we are currently building our next location that will also be in the Seattle area. It will have the capacity to turn about 50 bodies per month into soil. And we are hopeful that we will be able to have in-person ceremonies. Pending everything with construction, it'll probably open this spring. How does someone go about, you know, if, if mom or dad say they want burial or cremation, that's, that's their wishes and, and family, mm-hmm. those wishes. So um, tell us about the process if someone wants it for themselves. Um, sure. So if someone wants it for themselves, we do provide documentation so that they can record those wishes. There are several documents on our website. Um, In Washington, the main document is called the disposition authorization. And that's where I'm sure folks like you, Liz, would help someone fill out what their wishes are, including what do you want to happen with your soil? Um, We also have a form called the designated agent form. And that is where you appoint someone to enforce your disposition authorization after you die. So in our case, it would usually be making sure that your body makes it to recompose. We also have what we call a transport form, which is not so much a legal form as an informational form for the people in your life so that they know if you're within the Seattle area, the transport form is as simple as you can call recompose at the regular number. But if you're in another state, for example, like Alaska, that transport form would likely be, I have made arrangements with this funeral home. I've talked to them. They know what I want. At the time of death, call them. They will prepare me for transport to recompose. And then we also have a form that is your vital records statistics so that your family has that handy when they fill out the death certificate. Great. Um, such an interesting process, I think, that we just, I mean, in our day-to-day, we don't think about how a funeral home works unless mm-hmm. we're going with someone, and you really, you really walk people um, through the process of somebody dying and being there. Um, and for listeners, as Anna just shared, it's something you can and should think about during your lifetime, and especially if you want, um, if this is something that's interesting to you. And I will. Um, talk to the funeral home, well, talk to your funeral home wherever you are in Alaska, and then they would probably have to navigate transport uh, to Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's on one hand, it is a bit complicated because there's a lot of legal documents that go into it. There's a lot of unfamiliar terms and we try to make it accessible for folks, but it can also be as simple as giving us a call. We're happy to help. Even if you're in another state, our funeral directors can explain to you what your options are. We often have folks who um, will either have us help them find a funeral home in their area or will have their funeral home call us to make sure that everything is up to date and ready. Um, Sometimes, you know, not everyone has heard about this, even in funeral homes. So they might be a little confused sometimes, but we're happy to help facilitate that. And we have several articles on our website about how you can arrange for transport and how to talk to people about this because it is new and it can be confusing. And can your services be paid ahead? So if someone is planning on it, can they prepay? Yes, we do have a prepayment option called Precompose. It's temporarily closed right now because we're updating the technology, but it should be open by March. I don't know when this is going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe when by the time it comes out. Yeah. Um, 
And what condition um, does a body have to be in? You mentioned it can't be embalmed. Right. So other than being embalmed, it can be in really any condition. We have folks that come to us in a lot of, you know, after a traumatic death, uh, after really anything. And um, yeah, the embalming is the main factor because the point of embalming is to stop decomposition and and the process doesn't work the same on an embalmed body. (laughs) But but does it have to happen pretty quickly that they are, someone's in touch with you? Um, It doesn't really. I mean, there's the storage factor, which can be challenging for families on their end. But for our purposes, we often have, you know, when before we opened, Katrina did a pilot study with Washington State University, and there were a lot of various permits and whatnot to navigate at the university. So she had donated bodies that had been in storage for several months by the time all the approvals came through. So um, because the whole point of human composting is decomposition, storage is not a factor for us. Uh, and from a typical body, how much soil is created? Sure. So for each body that undergoes human composting, it creates one cubic yard of soil. That's enough to fill up about a pickup truck bed. And sometimes folks say, you know, that's so much. I'm not that big. How How is it that much soil? And it's because we use about three cubic yards of plant material that go into the vessel. And that's so that the microbes have enough fuel to complete the transformation into soil. And what are options then? You mentioned that the family can have soil back. Sure. So here in Washington, the rules are that you have to have permission of the landowner to use composted soil and it's the same for cremated remains. So we see about 50% of families do come pick up the full cubic yard of soil. We've had folks come with a pickup truck or they have a trailer that we help them cover with a tarp. So about half of families do want to take it home. We advise them to use it on decorative trees and plants. I've heard a lot of flower gardens and trees by a stream or by a bench. People have a lot of beautiful ways that they use the soil, often on gardens that the person who died tended when they were alive. And we also have a partnership with a conservation forest called Bells Mountain. It's in Southern Washington and folks can donate their soil if they choose. And the soil is used on ecological repair. Like right now they're using it on an area of the forest that was overpopulated with invasive Himalayan blackberries. So they removed the blackberry bushes and then they're using the compost to replant with native species. That's what I chose for myself. And sometimes when I'm having a really rough day, I'm like, at least someday I'll be out there being useful. In her TED Talk, Katrina talks about trying to bring ritual back and Mm -hmm. maybe with less burial, we have sometimes less ritual. Do you have any um, comments on what your goals are? I know you've started with the pandemic and things are just different, though you mentioned music, but. Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting, this idea of like what is meaningful. I think 
in the TED talk, you know, Katrina, that was several years before we actually opened and we weren't sure what people would bring to this process. We weren't sure if people would want to just have us pick up their person and then never think about it again. But we've seen overwhelmingly that people really do want to be present for their person throughout the process. Almost everyone joins us for that Zoom laying in. Um, we also have an option that is a ceremony written by our services director, who is a licensed funeral director, Morgan Yarbrough. She wrote this beautiful ceremony that we call the carbon cycle ceremony. And she opens it by asking everyone on the Zoom to light a candle and that calls to mind photosynthesis. She leads everyone in a collective breathing that calls to mind respiration that plants do. You know, she has everyone be present and sometimes there's a time for reflection. And then the services team places the plant material over the body, places the body into the vessel, closes the vessel, and then everyone blows out the candle together. And she has some really beautiful language in the ceremony around, we hold in our hearts the duality of the immense pain of losing this person and the immense beauty of the way that they're giving back to the environment that they loved. And I just think that's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Yeah. I think that it is, our culture definitely shies away from death. And I, I mean, I have to realize that because I talk about it every day. And Me too. Very easy to normalize in the jobs that we do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, you know, I was sat by my grandfather's bedside. He was lived to a hundred and, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it is a celebration of life. And then to transition to the soil. Um, you may not have addressed this yet, or maybe you have, but uh, my father, when he died, he had arranged for his body to go to a university for medical research. Mm -hmm. Another question I always ask clients about um, if that's something that they would want, if, if they could, is it possible? Is that where someone could be, you know, a cadaver or whatever, some other type of research and then compost it? Yeah, so it is possible, depending on the project that you're donating your body to. I Overwhelmingly, bodies that are donated to research are embalmed because those research programs want to be able to use the bodies for a longer amount of time. So usually those folks are not eligible for human composting. I have heard that a lot of hospitals use a process called alkaline hydrolysis or water cremation on donated bodies. And that uses sulfate and um, charge to eliminate the body down to a sandy material. And it has some of the similar environmental benefits of human composting. So I've heard that donated bodies are not always cremated, which is great news, um, but they're not usually eligible for human composting. Okay. There'd be a lot of logistics as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, people email us about it all the time. And I say like, well, if you happen to find a project that doesn't embalm your body, then sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard though, because that's really valuable too. But Yeah. Um, yeah. And it does, you know, there's a lot of movement in public policy. Is that something that Recompose itself is doing or, or Katrina in a different context? Yeah, so that's part of my job. We helped to facilitate the passage of the law in Colorado in 2021, 
yeah, 2021. We led a few bills in 2020, but of course nothing happened in 2020. So we did it again in 2021 and it was able to pass in Colorado and we worked with some lobbyists in Colorado. We also worked directly with the lawmaker in Oregon, Representative Pam Marsh, and it was able to pass in Oregon as well. And then we worked directly with the lawmaker in California for both the 2020 and 2021 sessions, but California is huge and we weren't able to get it through. So for this session, we are working directly with some lobbyists and we're hopeful that it will pass. Um, there's also bills in several other states. I know there's one in Vermont, there's one in Illinois. I think there's one in New York, there was last year. There's one in Maine, um, there was one in Hawaii. So there are various lawmakers that are working on this. Uh, our main priority is California because we see so much need and demand there. You have people from California coming up. We do, yeah, quite a few. And let's talk about the people who choose this as an option. Tell me about the first person that chose to be. Sure, yeah. So when we opened in 2020, we had we we had people who were really eager to come to us, and we actually had folks who had died and were in storage before we opened. And one of those folks was an organic farmer from Northern California who had been sick for many years. I think he had cancer and he went by Amigo Bob and he was well known in his community and in fact all over for being an advocate for soil health and for composting. And he knew a lot about composting and had done it for decades. So before he died, he had the opportunity to talk to Katrina and Dr. Carpenter Boggs, our soil scientist, about what was going to happen to his body and how it all worked and how the soil could go back to his farm that he had stewarded his whole life. And it was really beautiful that he was able to continue the work that had been his passion, even in death. And his widow, Jennifer, has been a wonderful advocate for Recompose. And she says part of her tribute to her late partner is spreading the word about this. And she gave a beautiful interview in People Magazine where she talked about she had, you know, Amigo Bob had died and she had cared for him daily for years. And after he died, even though it was the relief that he was no longer in pain and she wasn't doing that day-to-day -day care, she really missed him. And when it was time to come pick up his soil and bring it back to California, she recognized immediately that it was him. And she felt so validated to be reunited with the love of her life and to be able to bring him home. And she's, um, she speaks so eloquently about it. And I'm so grateful for folks like that who choose us and find so much meaning in it. Yeah. Do you have to turn people away? Do you have more people wanting to than, I mean, you, yeah. Yeah, so we have had healthy demand since we opened. We don't turn people away so much as we are very clear about what the wait time can be. We can keep a body in storage until we have a vessel ready for it. Uh, at various times throughout the pandemic when demand was very high, we sometimes had folks waiting in storage for up to a month before they were placed into a vessel. And we do sometimes have families who say, that's too long, I can't wait that long, and we help them choose another funeral home. But um, that's another big reason that we're opening this new location is that we want to be able to scale to meet demand. Yeah, I imagine it will 
continue to grow as more and more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know right now we're at 16 per month that we can turn into soil. And then later this year we'll be at 50 and I'm, I know because I do our marketing that that's not enough either. (laughs) Yeah. So if one, I had heard some time ago that someone was interested in a mushroom suit. Is that something that had been, is that like part of the old fashioned? How do we? (laughs) Yeah. So I hear about this mushroom suit all the time. And from what I can understand, it was a bit of a design project that a group did and maybe made a few of them, but I don't believe it actually became a company. Our funeral directors have tried to get our hands on these mushroom suits because we have customers who want them. And I don't believe it's something you can actually buy. Um, Part of the value proposition of these mushroom suits was that it removes toxins from your body. And that's something that happens in the human composting process. So if that's a reason that it resonated with you, then human composting could be a good option for you. Uh, I believe that a mushroom suit, if you could get your hands on one, would be used in a green burial setting where you would be buried in a shallower grave in a designated area of a cemetery where you didn't have to have a casket. I've heard from our soil scientists that if you were to be buried at that depth, that it would be too dark and cold for mushrooms anyway. So I think the mushroom suit is unavailable. I'll leave it at that. It's interesting. And it sounds like I had yeah. heard in the context of, of yeah. being interested in some kind yeah. of. Um, yeah. Now I hear about this mushroom suit all the time and it's a very cool idea. And I wish that we, I know I wish they were a company as responsive as Recompose because then I could just send people there, but I don't think they are. Great. Well, thank you for your time and for listeners. They you know, if you're working with an estate planning attorney, I, I didn't, I think go back, you had talked about a form that you have online, um, yeah. a statutory uh, deposition. deposition. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. disposition the disposition form. option. Yeah. So our website is www.recompose.life. And there's a lot of resources on there. And we have a whole plan ahead section. And the forms that I mentioned are just at recompose.life slash forms. Great. I like that you're a dot life <laughs> planning for death. Um, I know. I wish we could get dot com. Whoever has it won't sell it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no, it was totally on purpose. <laughs> um, all right. So recompose. Um, and we'll link to the website and people can call you. Is yep. there- Our number is 206-800-8733. That's 206-800-TREE. Awesome. And do, yeah, let people know your wishes if this is something you're interested in. Um, and that can make it happen. So thank you. Anything you want to... And actually, you know, I didn't ask the question I'm supposed to ask if you have a tip for people in life transitions. And we've talked about a certain life transition this whole time. Mm-hmm. But is there a, a tip that can be from your own personal personal life or what he mm-hmm. 
could be a tip to help people navigate through losing a loved one? Yes, that's a very interesting question. I think something that's been helpful for me in my life transitions is something that my longtime therapist said to me, which is, what is should? That's what she's always saying to me. And when we first started meeting, I would be like, oh, well, I should feel this way, or I should want to do this, or I should call this person who's been disrespecting me. And she would say to me, what is should? And that means to me validating what I know versus what cultural pressures or, you know, old beliefs I'm putting on myself. And I think that's especially key in navigating death because grief is never predictable and death is very often messy. And however you feel about it is the correct way to feel what is should. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Both in losing a loved one, but also what you want to happen if that's, you know, yeah. That's a great point. If you want to be composted and your family doesn't understand it and they say you should be buried in the family plot, but you don't want to, you don't have to. Great. Thank you, Anna. I'm so excited to share this. Yeah, thanks for the time. Really appreciate the questions. Looking forward to the episode. Thank you. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.